Well, hello, everyone. As our friend from last week, Boaz, would say, the Lord be with you. It really is great to join you. Thank you for allowing us in to your home, and uh, thank you for worshiping with us as today. And I hope you've had a wonderful week, and certainly that you've been extending some remarkable kindness to whoever happens to be around you, especially your family. You know, one of the upsides to this COVID season and, and difficulty has been to hear all the, all the numerous and, and even some humorous stories and, and videos and even some of the memes that have been circulating around, it's been, it's been quite uplifting to see humanity sort of express uh, their, their kindness and their fun to those who would watch. One of my favorite stories hit the headlines a few weeks back, and it was really remarkable because of the kindness that it exhibited. It was a farmer in Kansas who had an N95 mask, you know those masks that that have been keeping uh, people safe and, uh, and have been gold, really, in terms of their value in the last few weeks. Well, he decided that he would send one to frontline workers in, in New York, given that was the epicenter of the coronavirus here in the States. And, and so he wrote a handwritten letter to Governor Cuomo, and, and he included the N95 mask in there, and he asked them to pass it on to a doctor or to a nurse. Then he also had some words of encouragement, uh, uh, kind words to Governor Cuomo too, just encouraging him to, to keep leading the state well and to doing his best. It was beautiful. It, it, I loved it because it, it was vocal. It encouraged Cuomo. It, it, was, it was kind of a small act of kindness that, that inspired us and so became great. It was, it was practical. It was costly to him. He has health conditions Himself. So it was beautiful. It was a modern day example of the type of kindness that we were talking about last week in the book of Ruth. So please grab a Bible if you have one there at home and, and open up to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series on, on failing love. I want to go back to the same question that I was asking and answering last week. How do we live, how do God's people live in, in the difficult days in which we live? How do we live in these difficult days? And, and we're looking at, at the book of Ruth because Naomi and Ruth faced tough times also. And in chapter 2, God provides you and I with answers to that question. It, it's a how question. It, it's not a why question. Ruth doesn't really deal with are why questions. Why do you allow that to happen, Lord? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you deal with COVID-19? Why would you allow that stuff to happen to this woman, Ruth, and to this lady, Naomi? It's been interesting to watch my kids uh, process and, and think through the, the coronavirus stage that we're in. And, and my youngest, the four-year-old, he, of course, can go out for walks with us, etc. And we might walk past a neighbor or something like that. And he'll undoubtedly ask the neighbor, do you have the coronavirus? It's, it's sort of just ever present in his thinking. And so the other night, I was putting him to bed. And he asked a wonderful why question. He asked, why does Jesus not remove the coronavirus? And then he said this. He could use a gun. 
And it made me laugh because he was right on. Why, why does Jesus not remove this? And he was sort of offering Jesus some creative suggestions as to how he could go about it. It's a great question. We chatted about it. There's great questions that even as you just read Ruth, you would ask, why would you do that, Lord? Why would you allow that, Lord? But Ruth's not interested in answering the why questions. God deals with those elsewhere. Ruth focuses, certainly in chapter 2, on how are God's people to live in difficult days. And the answer that we saw last week was that we're to busy ourselves with chesed kindness. We're to busy ourselves with chesed kindness, that, that God's people are to copy God in extending his chesed kindness. We're to be chesed people. If you recall, the word chesed is a Hebrew word. It's, it's meant to sound like you're clearing your throat. It's, it's kind of rough. And there isn't a one-for-one one corresponding word in the English language. And so we use different words, unfailing love, remarkable kindness, loyal love, over and above, over and beyond uh, kindness, abounding kindness. They all capture that Hebrew word chesed. God's people are to copy God in being his chesed people. We saw that in the life of Boaz. Remember in chapter 2, Boaz extends remarkable kindness to Ruth. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 2 once again, you'll read that Boaz was a worthy man. He was a worthy man. Underline that in your copy of the Scriptures because that's supposed to guide your journey through chapter 2. It speaks of godly character. He's a man of godly character. And so the way he treats Ruth in that chapter is an expression of that worthy character that he has. He's remarkably kind. In chapter 1, we saw that, that Ruth is remarkably kind to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Ruth's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. But she married into the family, and she extends remarkable kindness to her mother-in-law, who has lost her husband and two sons. Ruth was married to one of her sons. In fact, in one of those beautiful verses in there, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Ruth says, Do not urge me, Naomi, to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge or you dwell, I will lodge or I will dwell. Your people are going to be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and that's where I will be buried. It's, it's a wonderful act of kindness that this woman binds herself to because she loves Naomi. In fact, in chapter 2, Ruth also exhibits chesed kindness. We didn't sort of focus in on that last week, but, but she plans to get up and out to work so that she can feed her mother-in-law and she can feed herself. Of course, chesed kindness is rooted in the character of God. God is a, and a remarkably kind God. He, he has created us in his image, Genesis chapter 1 tells us. And so we share in some attributes of God, and those attributes relate to his character. And so it's not surprising that, that in, in Exodus 34, he tells us from his own lips, I am a chesed God, abounding in love. And in Leviticus, he tells us, and I want you to copy me. 
I want you to be as holy as I am and, and who I am. I want you to be also, I want you to be remarkably kind people. In fact, he structures his law, the Ten Commandments, according to four laws that deal with loyal love toward God and, and six laws that deal with loyal love toward those around you. God's providing his creatures with, with that which will make their societies flourish. If you live like this, mankind flourishes. Then Jesus wonderful expression because he is God of God's kindness. And when he's asked in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, what does God want? Jesus says he wants you to love him, to love God, and to love people. God's always wanted that. A chesed God wants his people to be chesed people, to copy him in extending and being channels of remarkable kindness to those around you. Woven through chapter 2 of Ruth is also a similar theme. It's piggybacking off it that's beautiful. And it's this, that chesed people can trust God's providential chesed hand steering life. That remarkably kind people, God's people, can trust that God's remarkably kind hand will guide their lives in difficult days. In fact, the kindness that, that Boaz exhibits toward Ruth and that Ruth exhibits toward Naomi is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, underneath the waterline, there's this huge, enormous expression of the kindness of God. It's a, it's a beautiful teaching in the Scriptures, the, the providence of God. That's what we're talking about here. The, the guiding hand of God steering His people in the ins and outs of just regular day-to-day -day living. That, that God shows up in your day, and, and what seems ordinary is actually extraordinary. God sees and God steers those who walk in His kindness. I love it when we come into contact, access to a golf cart or golf buggy, usually when we're on holidays somewhere. And the reason I love it is because the kids, my kids, know that here's an opportunity to say to dad, can we drive? They know they're not going to get away with that at home with our cars, but a golf cart, he might give us a shot at that. And, and I often do, and, and they're all at different stages now, but my, the funnest stage is the youngest stage, because what I can do is, is put the child on my lap and, and, and see the joy in his or her face as, as he or she grabs the steering wheel on my lap, and we begin to move forward. And, and, and the child believes he or she is driving, and, and he or she is driving, but, but I'm also driving. His hands are on the steering wheel, and, and my hands are at six o'clock on the steering wheel, firmly gripping it. He, he, he may be able to zig and zag a little bit, but it's all under my control because I know which direction we're heading. I, I control the foot pedals, right? I determine the speed even though he or she may be shouting faster, faster, faster. I know when to stop. I have a plan. But it's beautiful to collaborate in this experience together. I love it because it reminds me of the providence of God. 
that God wants to guide my life and he wants to do it in my company, in my presence, in collaboration with me. And he's in control, but I have, I have room to move too if I'm walking in the direction that he wants me to take. That's the providence of God. Proverbs 16.9, a beautiful proverb says this, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. The providence of God is a, is a remarkable teaching in the Scriptures. It's so com comforting that God will guide my regular comings and goings in my everyday life. The providence of God is a teaching in Ruth 2. And I want to show you the way Ruth 2 is presented to us pushes that expression of God's kindness to the surface. Let me show you. Ruth believes that she's going to a field to glean. But that field is actually a divine place. It's a divine place. In fact, in verse 3, here's what it says, that, that she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who's of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come there. That, that phrase there could be translated as, as she just, as it turned out, she came to that field. It's, it's exaggeration of irony. It's intentional exaggeration of irony. It's, it's kind of a literary sarcasm. It, it's meant to stand out. It's, if we were to say it orally and, and, and be able to use the, the visual aid of, you know, floating uh, quotation marks, it's, it's this, by luck, yeah, yeah, by luck. There's no luck in this. She was led to that field. God was guiding Ruth to that specific field in that specific farm because of the purposes that he had for Ruth and for Boaz and for Naomi. She, she thinks that she just happened to come across a field, but as it turned out, that was a divine place. That's where God wanted her. And this all operates according to God's divine timing as well. Let me show you verse 4. It says this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And behold, could be translated, look, look, just at the right time, if I can again invoke my sort of uh, aerial quotation marks, just at the precise time when she was in that field, look who showed up. Boaz from Bethlehem. In fact, as, as we read on, and we won't do it with the aid of the screens at this point, let me just remind you about last week in verse 5, Boaz asks his, his foreman, you know, who is she? Who is that? Who is Ruth? He's alert. He's attentive as to what's going on in, in, in his sphere of stewardship, right? And the foreman gives him a response, verses 6 and 7. The foreman essentially says, she's Ruth, she's a Moabite, she's here with Naomi, etc., etc. But then Boaz addresses Ruth in verses 8 and 9. And it's interesting what pops up there. Let, let's read it together again. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? That question, it's a rhetorical question, seems to just pop in there out of the blue. 
And it's a question that Boaz asks Ruth because Ruth has seen him charge the young men not to touch her. Didn't, didn't I say that to them? Ruth is what he's saying. And on it goes. And, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So it, it seems like Ruth has been somewhat harassed by the young men in that field. And it may be connected to the fact that she wanted water and they were saying, you can't drink our stuff. And when Boaz just happened to come into the field at that precise time, he encountered that. He seems to be coming into the field when she seems to be exiting the field at the precise same time. That's divine timing. God wanted them to, to cross paths. God took her to that field to meet Boaz at that specific time. There's also a divine plan that's going on in chapter 2. All of chapter 2 is cast as a divine plan. Way earlier, at the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of that day, Ruth says to her mother-in-law that she's going to go out and glean in the fields among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. It's kind of her plan. It's kind of her desire. This is what I intend to do. And I hope I find someone in whose sight I shall find favor. We, we know that happens. By the end of the chapter, verses 17 and 18, we read this, that she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That, that's about a month's supply of food. So she went into that day to, to resolve a problem that she had and that her mother-in-law had. They're hungry. They need some food to eat. By the end of the day, they don't just have food for that day. They have food for the entire month. In fact, it goes on. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Remember, she ate at the table of Boaz. And she had a to-go bag. She also brought that back to her mother-in-law to eat. There's plenty of food. The hunger problem in Ruth 2, is resolved in, in Ruth 2. But, but there's another two chapters to the book of Ruth. This is just the beginning of God's master plan for Naomi and for Ruth and for Boaz. So this is all cast as a divine plan. God took her plan and made it into his divine plan. In fact, he worked his divine purposes through which she believed to be her day's plan. God does that. In fact, what God did is he took her, her desire, her, her unvoiced prayer request, and he turned it into a prayer request, and he answered it. This is a divine place. There's divine timing. This is cast as the divine plan. Because ultimately, God wants a divine encounter to occur in this field. Let me show you, uh, in, in, in verse 1, we read that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, Boaz, of the clan of Elimelech. Underline that in your scriptures as well. Of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, Elimelech is, mother, is Naomi's deceased husband. We met him briefly in chapter 1. But then look at verse 3. So 
Uh, she set out and went to the glean in the fields, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We just read that a few moments ago. And then we get to the bottom of that verse, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We're told that again. That's, that's twice within the space of a few verses. Okay, we get it. He's from the clan of Elimelech. What's the big deal? Well, well God wants you to know that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's. In fact, when you go on down the chapter to verse 20, at the end of verse 20, this comes up again. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. God wants Boaz to meet Ruth. God wants Ruth to meet Boaz. God has a master plan for Naomi, and it includes invoking this concept of a close relative being a redeemer. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's in chapters 3 and chapters 4. And that's what's unfolding there. It's this beautiful social custom of how God provided for people to be cared for through a family member, somebody from their clan. And Boaz is not just a, a worthy man of means that can help. He's a family member. He's a relative. He may be able to do more than just resolve their immediate hunger. He may be able to resolve Naomi's emptiness because she lost her husband. And she lost not one boy, but two boys. So God arranged this encounter is what I'm saying. This is being God-orchestrated. Friends, chesed people can trust God's providential chesed hand steering their lives. God wants to drive the golf cart with you in it, for you to take hold of the wheel and perhaps to zigzag along under his control and at his pace and his direction. The providence of God is this beautiful, comforting truth that in what seems ordinary in my day-to-day comings and goings can be actually extraordinary. God can be steering things along. One of the other favorite stories I've, I've come across these days in the COVID situation that we're in comes from my homeland in Northern Ireland, a pastor who had caught the coronavirus and he was hospitalized and he was undergoing huge pain and difficulty and, and struggling mentally too with the isolation and the lack of contact with people. And he cried out to God, God, I need you to help me. God, I need a word of encouragement. I need you to reach into my isolation and and speak to my life, to to, to look after my soul. Well, as it happened, the next day, uh, one of the cleaners, the hospital cleaners who was on duty went past the room that he was in. And he smiled and he gave him the thumbs up. And as he cleaned up and down the hallway there, he kept sort of popping his head in and saying hello. Eventually, he stopped and talked. Eventually, he, he passed on words of encouragement, told him to hang in uh, there. And, and then he started to tell him about Jesus. And then he actually prayed for him. And here's what the pastor says uh, as a conclusion to that, to that encounter. He says, when God needs to reach you, He will send the right person to you. When no one could get into where I was, God sent me a hospital cleaner. 
And not just any hospital cleaner. This cleaner had been a missionary in Nigeria for 14 years. And he was just back and, and trying to earn a little bit of a living, but he was still serving Jesus by encouraging those whom he encountered in his day-to-day -day activities. The pastor, the patient, uh, talks about how that evening his whole mood had shifted and, uh, and he started to feel better and his appetite came back. He was suddenly hungry and he said, Lord, if you would be so kind, I would love a packet of chips. Uh, and, and, and a specific flavor is what he asked for. And I'd love a can of Coke. Well, as it happened, behold, the next day, that same hospital cleaner was on duty and he came in to see him and he brought him a bag and inside the bag was a packet of chips, that flavor, and a can of Coke, as well as two bonus oranges. It's beautiful. This is customized care by a remarkably kind God for those who busy themselves being remarkably kind, representing him. God's chesed people can trust in God's providential chesed hand, steering their lives. So back to the question that we started last week and answered last week and raised again this week and will answer once again this week. How are God's people to live in difficult days, in these difficult days, in, in the types of difficulty that Ruth and Naomi encountered? And the answer is simply this, that you rest in God's chesed hand steering your life. As you busy yourself with his chesed kindness, that you rest in his chesed hand steering your life, that you trust his kind hand, that you lean in, that you find confidence in, that you take comfort in, the fact that he's involved, perhaps silently, but he is there and he's steering and he's guiding. You want God's direction in your life as it relates to whether you marry this individual or because you have marital issues or because you have a financial decision to make or because you have work decisions to make. God wants to guide your life. God wants to drive that golf cart with you. But you have to be walking in his kindness. He's providentially kind to those who reflect his kindness. I want to pass on some practical advice that, that I, I use and invoke uh, in, in these situations. Essentially, it's my way of saying, here's how you can rest in his chesed hand. Four key issues that, that I work through that help me, and I pass them on, and hopefully they will help you. And the first one is this, that you need to, to watch out for his hand. You need to begin to enter into your day with, with a mindset that, that God wants to be personally involved in my day, and that he will sh show up. The question is, is, am I going to see him? Am I going to detect him? So you've got to be on the lookout. In the mornings when I get up to spend some time with the Lord, uh, I, I, I go through my little routines. And one of the things I do ask is, Lord, where are you going to show up today? Who, who is it you want me to meet? And, 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 and what is it you specifically want me to do, even in the context of my ordinary comings and goings? And I dialogue with the Lord throughout the day. In fact, if things begin to get unusual, I begin to say to the Lord, Lord, is that you? 
I mean, I've been stopped at the red light and these traffic lights five times today. Are you trying to say something to me, or is this just the regular way we, we do uh, traffic control? Lord, that house deal fell through, or that business deal fell through, or, or that appointment was canceled again. Was that you? I look out. I expect that he's going to show up. That's number one. That's what I want you to do at the beginning of, of this application of rest in God's hesed hand steering your life. But not everything that helps in your day is out of the ordinary, right? Sometimes you're stopped at traffic lights because, well, that's how we regulate the flow of traffic. It's just turned red. Sorry, you're, it's your turn to stop. But sometimes it's not. So how do I know when it's his hand that's directly involved. So number two is, I think you need to filter what you see. You need to filter what you see. See, here's the thing. I don't trust my heart. Sometimes I want to do something, and I want to have God's endorsement on it, so I want to claim that he led me there, that he moved me in that direction. And sometimes people want me to do things for them, and they want to tell me that it was God-endorsed. So we need to filter what we see. Recently, our pool, we have a pool in the back garden. It's not very large, uh, uh, but it was starting to get pretty dirty and pretty murky. And, uh, you know, we've never had a pool before, so we got a guy out, and he said, just your pool filter system needs cleaned or changed. In fact, I would recommend that you buy a new one. So long story short, we bought a new one. And it's, I've learned a lot about filter systems these days. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. It's, it's simple equipment, and it processes the water from the pool through several stations. And, and when it does that, the water then returns back to the pool, but it's crystal clear. It's been purified. In fact, it's so clear at the minute that I, who don't usually get into the swimming pool, want in. In fact, the dog thinks that it's just one big massive dog bowl for him to drink out. It's so clear. I think you need to filter what you see. And, and, and here's how I do it. I, I first of all ask a question. Am I walking with God? This is an important question you need to ask because God's commitment to providentially guide with his hesed hand is a commitment to his own. And I'm not just talking about being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about being a believer who's walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's not dabbling in willful sin. God wants to guide you. So if the answer to that question is yes, here's the filter stations that, that I think you need to go through in big decisions in life. And I've made many, and I've always had to run them through this. Is the timing unusual? And I'm not manipulating. Is it actually unusual? I can't, I can't cheat myself. Are the circumstances unusual? Is something odd here? Is it, is it different than the ordinary? That could be God's personal touch. What do people in my life say? The right people in my life. Godly people in my life. I have several people in my life that speak truth into my life unapologetically. Pastor Cody is one. I, I process things in his company and in the company of a few others because, you see, I have blind spots and I have an evil heart that might be wanting to manipulate, but they keep me right. And then, of course, the, 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 the decision flows through the station of the Word of God. 
God's not going to contradict what he has said. He's not going to tell me something and then it be completely different than what he said in his word. I believe that if you're walking with God, and that means you're walking in, in step with the Spirit of God, that this filtration system helps you make sure that what you're observing is or is not the hand of God. One story to share with you of the many that God has used this in my life. In 2015, I returned to Texas. I had been a student here many years before. But in 2015, we returned, and it was a very difficult decision for me. In fact, I didn't want to come. And I love Texas, and I love Texans, but, but I was happy. I was comfortable. I was in ministry, and the, the, the kids that we had then were, were thriving, and, and my wife was settled too. But bottom line is I didn't want to come, but you see, for the fourth time, the seminary came knocking. That's, that's unusual circumstances. At that point, I realized, boy, am I shutting the door on what God's trying to open just because I don't want to go? It also came at a time in my life where I was transitioning slightly, and so there was this unusual timing in which the fourth uh, approach came. I, I talked to the people of God in my life at the time, and, uh, and they were speaking into it in a process of nine months. In fact, there was one day that I recall where one individual in Dallas phoned me and said, Jonathan, I've been praying about this. I believe God is calling you back to Texas. That same day, a friend of mine in Northern Ireland phoned me and said, Jonathan, I've been praying about this, and I believe God's calling you back to Texas. These guys don't know each other. These guys had, had no self-interest involved but what God wanted for me. And then God repeatedly used his word to, to, to really confirm that for me. So I knew that I had to come back, but I still didn't want to come back. And so my ba last battle with the Lord took place in a beautiful little seaside town up in the town called Port Stewart, the very north coast of Northern Ireland. And I got up early and I went to this coffee shop and it was empty. And, and, and there's a beautiful road that runs in front of it. And then there's just the sea. And I sat at the window and I looked out at the sea and it was rough. There was a bit of fog. There was one little sort of ray of, of sunshine trying to break through. And I said to the Lord, Lord, that's me. I think you've said go, but I'm weak. Help me once again hear your voice. I'm churned up like the ocean. I'm, I'm, I'm foggy like that fog. Give me a little ray of light. And, and then this massive work van pulled right in front of the coffee shop. Of all the places that it could have parked in that mile stretch that were empty, it stopped right in front of my window as I was trying to have a real spiritual moment with God looking out into the sea. And then it hit me began to stare at that van. And as I asked God to lead me, here's what was written right across the side of that van. And I had never seen that word in Northern Ireland in my life. And the word was simply this, a massive font, Dallas. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It was an electrical company. The guy had stopped in a very small company. The guy was going to fix some machines in the coffee shop. It was God's very gracious granting to me of an extra station in the filtering process. I need you to understand that that came 
on top of God already dealing with me in this way. I don't go about looking for signs like that. That was a bonus sign that God gave me because of my weakness. So we boarded the plane in 2015 and came back to Texas. And looking back, it was a godly decision. Of course it was. I was wanting to follow God, and God was wanting to lead me. But back, back to this chart, if, if you're not walking with God, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you're not, if you are a believer, but you're not walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, if your answer is no, sin is going to disrupt God and your relationship, right? He's not going to guide you with his providential chesed hand. Why would he? You haven't turned to him. So you can either continue in your rejection, or you can actually turn to God and move over to this side of the chart. Like Ruth did, your God, Naomi, will be my God. Like Boaz acknowledged that Ruth did in verse 12 of chapter 2, you sought refuge in the living God of Israel. Friends, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's kindness hasn't been extended toward you, but he wants to be kind to you. In fact, Romans 2 verse 4 says that God's kindness in your life, which you might think has been your own sort of smart ingenuity, is his, his attempt to lead you to repentance. His desire is for you to turn to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to find refuge, not just in this life, but in eternity, under a kind, hesed God. So you watch for his hand, and you filter what you see, and then you trust in his purpose. You trust that God is silently at work. When I was no size, I was taught the scriptures, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He's committed to do that to those who trust in him. So trust in the integrity of the filtration system that he's put you through. And that's hard. You can relapse back into doubt. In fact, I've just gone through a massive decision in my life where I believe God was involved and I put it through my system and I still sometimes go, boy, did I make the right call? Did I make the right decision? I need to trust that he is guiding and he can correct when I try and zigzag along. Lastly, you watch for his hand, you filter what you see, you trust in his purposes, and you praise him. You praise him. You enter into the rest of your day with a mindset of praise. You proclaim his chesed. Jot these few verses down and track them down at some time when you have a little bit of time. Uh, Psalm 106 verse 7 calls you not to forget God's chesed kindness. Psalm 59 verse 6 tells you to sing of God's hesed kindness. Psalm 92 verse 2 tells you to tell others night and day about God's hesed kindness. Psalm 136 has 26 verses and 26 times we are reminded that God's hesed kindness endures forever. Ruth 2 helps us understand that we're to share, channel God's hesed kindness, as we rest confidently 
in God's Hesed kindness. Friends, that's how we're to live when we don't know why Jesus doesn't just eradicate the coronavirus with a big, massive gun. We're to busy ourselves with Boaz and Ruth like Hesed. And we're to rest confidently that if we do that, he will kindly guide our lives through these difficult days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you once again for the book of Ruth. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to our current situation in a remarkable way. Father, I pray that you would help your people walk intimately with you, to go into their day looking for your involvement. Father, I pray that if there's people listening to this message today who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, that you would pursue them this week, that you would kindly steer them, woo them to yourself, that they would have the courage to turn to the living God and, and to maybe reach out to somebody that they know who can also help them along the way. We leave them in your care, Father. In the name of your Son, amen.